Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast for the features department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every week. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Erica Thompson, features reporter at the Dispatch, and today we are chatting with Crowder, also known as David Crowder, a Christian artist with a new album out. He's on the Imagination Tour with the band Mercy Me, and you can catch them at Nationwide Arena at 7 p.m. on Saturday, October 5th. Thank you so much for giving us a call. We are really looking forward to having you in Columbus uh, for your show. And I listened to your new album, I Know a Ghost, which was really, really good. And um, I think... Yeah, I think a lot of folks are talking about how eclectic it is. Like, you hear a little bit of country and rock and blues and bluegrass and just everything. What really struck me were, like, the hip-hop beats, like, that, that sound like that you, you made them on a drum machine. So can you talk a little bit about your approach to the sound with this project? Absolutely. I did this one totally different than all the other ones I've recorded. I, I started like a hip-hop uh, producer would, with just beats. I hit up a bunch of pals that make... Um, in my opinion, it would be really great hip-hop music. And they would send me, like, Dropbox files or however they wanted to share files, like a folder with four or five to 12 songs at, the, at most with, with, like, a, a beat idea, so, like, a verse and a chorus kind of idea. And here's the deal. I've been watching all these documentaries, and it's like when you're seeing, like, just a news clip or something of, like, I don't know, Jay-Z in the studio, and, you know, they're, they're just some dude sitting at the control desk and he's scrolling through some beats and all of a sudden a beat will happen and then bam there's like a hit song that just happens in the room you see jay-z light up and it's like all of a sudden he's flowing and i was super jealous of that i'm like that's a way that's a way to go in a writer's song and i thought i wonder if this kind of music since i'm squishing all this other stuff in the same place at the same time i wonder if my love for hip-hop and rap can fit in the same space and, and maybe the songwriting approach would stretch me in a way that I haven't been stretched before and sure enough I had more fun writing this record than I've had in ever it was so it was amazing because the song you just scroll through the deal something would hit you and all of a sudden the song would pop out and it's kind of like in my experience, it would be picking up a different guitar. You know, you you have you sit around playing on one guitar, you put that one down and pick up another one, that's one to say something different than the other one says, and all of a sudden the song comes out of it that wouldn't have come out of the other one. And that's what it felt like to me. It's like the atmosphere of the thing. I guess the core of the song and the atmosphere of it was already, already present, and you sort of filled in the blanks. So I loved it. Yeah, that is so cool. And I also wanted to talk to you about the title of the album, I Know a Ghost, because I think from like people from the outside looking in, when they think of a Christian artist, they might not equate ghost with, with faith. Like ghost right. can be like scary or sinister. So talk to me about like your vision for that. Totally. I love language and there's a colloquialism. Like if you're talking about 
church music. You know, I could say, I go to a church that's got, like, contemporary music, like, sounds like pop music down there. And then you could say, like, I go to a church and it's kind of rowdy, it's got that Holy Ghost music. And I never had had experience where a ghost outside of a context that, like, let me have the handles. That Once you took the handles away of, of that context, all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, you're saying a ghost? What do you mean ghost? <laughs> and, and I thought, all of a sudden, having grown up in church, all of a sudden, I was like, this is a different story that I... I grew up in and the proposition is that the ghost of God is accessible and it was there there in the beginning in Genesis right in the beginning of the story of creation it's like spirit of God roamed above the void and you're like that's kind of creepy <laughs> I mean <laughs> and then here's the story of Jesus comes along and he's like sitting with his pals right before he's you know gonna go to the cross and, and that's the part of the story that I had been familiar with all the time but then when you sit and think he's sitting with his buds and he's like okay listen I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave with you something. It's going to be my ghost. <laughs> that's like a creep. That's a different slant to the story than uh, I grew up with. And so it, once I, I hit on that, I had, I had already had the intention of the, I've, I've done three records as a solo artist now. And they were kind of Trinitarian in my idea of thought. It was like first one was going to be sort of son-oriented, father-oriented, or first one was father-oriented, then son-oriented, then I was going to do a Holy Ghost record or Holy Spirit and when that, when I was just mulling that over, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a completely different take than where I saw it coming. And that's what I love about making music is when you discover stuff that is firing you up and you're hoping that it's going to translate, your experience will translate to other people that you probably are, are connecting with because they have a similar experience of life and similar outlook on life. And so hopefully that whole thing that blew my mind it blew some folks mind too in the same way yeah and I think it's really great for people to hear you talk about this like people who don't normally listen to church music and hear that like you yeah. can laugh at things that sound kind of crazy <laughs> like in the bible <laughs> you know what I mean so that they don't have an impression that you're like this stuffy person but you know speaking of your faith I, I did want to ask you about a line on wildfire that really struck me um, how wide are the arms of grace and so I wanted to ask you, like, what has grace looked like in your own life as a result of your faith? <laughs> well, I could probably laugh about a bunch of this stuff because, man, if not for people that have been around me that have offered and shown me forgiveness, you know, I think that's the thing that we don't experience a lot of. Most times, if we're done wrong, then our natural reaction is to them, you know, get them back or to be sad or internalize it and hold on to that thing, that moment of pain, that stuff that, and then that, then that controls us, that holds us back from everything we're supposed to be and could be and how we could be outwardly focused instead of inwardly focused. And I've just had amazing people around me that when I've messed up and done something completely stupid, they've said, you know what, this is not, this is not your future tense. This is right where we are right now. And stories wide open you know it can go anywhere and and a comeback story is the best kind of story to tell it's, it's one we can all get behind and root for and i think most of the time we we uh, find ourselves uh, with a with a, a voice in, in our own self that it's really tough to get a voice above and when you have great people around you their voice can get louder and when it's full of grace and forgiveness and redemption and all those things that we hope to bring to other people and we rarely <laughs> succeed at it inspires you to push beyond where you your present tense is if you've had a failure and, and loss or you know disappointment there's I think that the skin of what I'm talking about and and my quote-unquote church music is it's been it's 
God and, and people. It's, it's the grace of God through people that has allowed me to experience what I read about in, in Scripture. So that'd be my take. Yeah, awesome. And, it, it, you know, it's kind of interesting how you say, quote-unquote, church music. And I, I was kind of using the, the term that you brought up earlier, but do you not like to put that label, like, on yourself, like Christian no, artists? Or- you know, that, well, that stuff gets a little complicated. I, it, I mean, it's, it's just uh, all just language, you know? It's like, it helps us understand what we're talking about. So anything that helps another person understand what it is that I'm doing or whatever is great. I tend to think of what I'm doing as liturgical and its orientation. I'm trying to help people, a group of people, get together and use music to reorient, you know, ourselves to what God's done and, and has activity, remind us of things like like that. The grace extends beyond your failure. And that's what we're called to do is, is to show grace, to show love. And that's just a, a counter-cultural idea. We're usually like, you know, pick sides and most of the time it's it's your side. It's yourself that you're fighting for most of the time. And, and selflessness and all that other stuff, that's just like foreign to what we are programmed to be and do because it's counter-cultural. And so, yeah, I'd, whatever language works to help describe what what it is I'm up to I'm game for but language is funny and it can convolute more than it helps sometimes yeah speaking of of like language and labels so I hear about this Uh I think with gospel artists and it seems like they're under a lot of pressure with like the different perceptions of what a gospel artist or a Christian artist is supposed to be. Are they making their songs catchy enough, but are they not going like, do they have to make sure they're not too secular? And I was kind of wondering if you feel that same sort of pressure sometimes. Let me say for me, again, I think I've just been given wonderful people that are part of my team that helps me make music and get music out and and they kind of just like crowd or do your thing and we'll see what we can do with it at the end of the day <laughs> so i've got to get to be i've never really had a lot of constraint on so it's all my fault is what i guess i should say i haven't felt a lot of pressure to do something specific it's and that's an absolute wonderful joy but it is absolutely a a thing that if you're and it, but it happens in pop music too you know it's like should I make my record more like the last one or am I supposed to do something different or like now the sounds have moved this way? Am I supposed to follow that trend or am I supposed to? So it's complicated to make art if you've got a box that you're trying to shoot for, you know, that's just a, it's a tough thing for anybody creating and making any type of film or art or music. And it's definitely the case within the church as well to try to try to hit your, your demographic that you're trying to make, have a voice to and for and then at the same time, wanting that voice to broaden, it can be a delicate thing. Yeah, I thought that was well said. And, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with your background, kind of take us back to Texas <laughs> growing up <laughs> when you were learning piano and guitar and playing in church. Like, you know, kind of give us an overview of your backstory. Absolutely. My parents were it's East Texas, so Texarkana, Texas was where I was born and raised and it's a unique place because half of it's in Arkansas, half of it's in Texas. It's split by Texas, I mean, State Line Avenue. And so I was on the barely on the Texas side of things. And great Christian, like they're super devout in their faith. My, my parents are amazing people. I had a younger brother, and, and he now lives in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm, I'm pretty jealous that he's staring at mountains every day. But he's an, he's an amazing dude, too. And so it's a really great family life that I grew up in. And church was a part of it, all of it. And once I was tall enough to reach the piano, it was one of the, the piano was in the house. Nobody really played it. 
but I was told not to touch it. When you tell a little kid not to touch something, that's the only thing I can think of to touch. And so eventually I was, you know, banging on the piano and getting scolded. And then all of a sudden my mom noticed she was recognizing a few of the tunes that the little kid was banging out. And so she thought, well, let's, let's get the kids some lessons. And I hated them the whole time, but I'm glad she did because I, I wound up falling in love with music. And by the time I hit college, I was just going to study music for fun because my dad owned an insurance agency back in Texarkana. And I thought he was the coolest dude on the planet and I wanted to work for him and then take over the family practice because he was like living the dream had wood paneled walls (laughs) with a a waterfall wallpaper scene behind him and he's just got that phone receiver cocked on his neck while he's typing on the computer I'm like this dude is doing it and so I thought that's what I want to be and I was just if I could take an insurance exam and pass it I was in that nepotism hookup so I thought music would be fun to study it's not fun to study it's like (laughs) you never see any of your friends you're stuck in a practice room for hours on end it smells bad and so that was not what I thought it was going to be but while I was at school studying music a friend of mine started the church and said hey man Crowder can you help with the music portion of our Sunday morning gatherings and I was like shh that's a terrible idea but he talked me into it and so that's where it started was just trying to help corral college kids to show up for rehearsals and play what they were told to play and then eventually uh, about a year in I started writing songs because it was really hard to find something that fit the collegiate moment you know everybody's listening to college radio and there was nothing I could find that would fit our ear and, and feel authentic to us. So I, I first started just kind of reworking old hymns and then uh, moved on to writing stuff that was really just kind of what we were experiencing as a community together in, in, uh, in that little church in Waco. So that was went to school at Baylor is where I wound up in Waco, Texas, and then moved to Atlanta, Georgia about five years ago now. Yeah. And still doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and doing it really well. I mean, you've had, you know, success with the David Crowder band and now your own solo success and, you know, receiving, you know, number one hits and on the chart. So it's really cool. Did you ever have any hesitation about stepping out on your own? Oh, yes. Oh, goodness, yes. It was a pleasure to share the blame with other people. <laughs> it's like blame displacement was a, a, a gift. So, I don't think I really got nervous until I finished and turned in the first album of this solo journey. And, and once that, once it was done and I was like, uh-oh, it's out the door, then I got super nervous. I was like, this could have been a really, really bad idea. But it was, thank goodness, people were responding because it was pretty different and a different lane than I had been in. And it was just kind of, all of my music is, like you said, pretty eclectic. So it's, I don't know how anybody else likes it. Because <laughs> it seems very specific to my taste. And so I guess there's a lot of people that, as I said, have probably had a similar experience of life and listening. And I'm glad that it's resonating with others. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are definitely, as I said before, looking forward to seeing what you do live. And congratulations on everything. And I, this has been a great uh, chat with you. Yeah. And um, I think well, that. I appreciate you including me. Of course, yeah. So is there anything else that you felt you didn't get a chance to say? Oh, no. Uh-uh. I'm just hoping to help support the our little stop there. and can't wait to get... I, we love... Columbus has, like... When we first started traveling as a band and weren't getting booked, like, everywhere, Columbus was, like, our favorite stop because we would hang at the Easton Mall. Cause had, <laughs> like, every day. And so it was like, yes, we're stopping in Columbus at the Easton Mall. We'll go to Cheesecake Factory and eat. It's going to be great. <laughs> So I I like Columbus. I got some fond memories there. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully you can make another stop at Easton <laughs> when <laughs> you come in. Definitely. <laughs> be a real treat. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Have a great day. You Thanks, too. Eric. Thank you, David. Bye. Bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.